you very much. Good morning. Good morning. I almost feel like I want to be having this picked up and put over here where these ladies were, because that looked much more enjoyable than here. So, um, but uh, I think we're probably okay with space and distance, aren't we? The Holy Spirit is moving this morning. Father, we just pray that in this you'll be glorified. And we certainly pray we've not stopped time of ministry to talk. We, we see this as something that is going to perhaps take us to another level. And in what we're going to do in the next few minutes, we're praying that lives will be genuinely and permanently affected in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is our, I suppose it's really our third week. Al introduced the series on prayer, and then last week he spoke about talking to God. And the uh, subject that I've been given today is talking... There we are. There we are, perfect. Talking with God. And I'd like you to get your devices and Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, please. And verse 14. You see how the really mature Christians are, because some, some of you ain't got there yet, because you don't use the Bible that much and don't know where it is, do you? But uh, we always see the, the really uh, mature Christians who get there quickly. I cheated and marked the place. Let me read for you Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. It's that famous phrase. I love this. Let's look at it. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. And this is an amazing thing. We are not encouraged to pray as if we are shouting across the galaxy, hoping that God is going to pick up something that we're saying from a distance. We're called to come right into the center of the activity. We're called to the throne of grace. Come to God's, God's throne. Approach God's throne. And if we're going to approach God's throne, then we are encouraged, we're told, to do it boldly. Boldly, okay? That's how we approach the throne of grace. So I thought we could unpack this word for just a few moments. Uh, the New Testament, it is, of course, a Greek word. Um, parousia, okay? Parousia. Can you say that with me? Parousia. You'll never forget that now, will you? It's, it's there forever. Um, what matters is really what it means more than the word. And it comes from the, the word pas, the first two letters of parousia, P-A, pa. It is, that's the most important word because in the Greek language, and it's certainly in the Bible, there's no such word as boldly. It just doesn't exist. The, it's, it's used to flow easily in the English language for the sake of us reading it. What it should say is approach the throne of grace with all boldness. Pa, pas means all. Um, parousia means all 
boldness, okay? We're not encouraged to come with some boldness, to come with a, a vague attitude of boldness, or even with quite a lot of boldness. The encouragement is, if we're approaching the throne of grace, we do it with all boldness, all boldness. It's a really important word. And whenever you see the word boldness, so, so often you'll hear people talk about People who, who know the Bible and know the language of the Bible will often talk about, for example, in the New Testament, there are at least four words for love. We translate it love, but there are other words with deeper meanings in the Greek language. But in the terms of boldness, there's only this one word, parousia. That, that's, every time you see that word in the New Testament, it means with all boldness. It is the, it's the word which um, Paul is talking when he's preaching, it says that he preached boldly in the synagogues. What it means is he preached with all boldness in the synagogues. It's at the end of the discourse on the armour of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul has a prayer request for the Ephesians. I think this is a great prayer request. I'll read it for you. Actually, why don't you have a look at it? Ephesians 6, verse 19 and then 20. Paul says this. He says, pray for me, that utterance may be given me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that herein may I speak boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, I rather like that little phrase at the end, as I ought to speak, because if you are talking about Jesus and you don't do it with all boldness, you're probably wasting your time, aren't you? Um, with all confidence, with all boldness. And Paul says, pray for me, because if I'm talking about Jesus, I don't want to be doing it half-heartedly and unconvincingly. I'll only get one go at this, maybe. So if I'm going to do this, I need to be prayed for so that when I speak, I'll speak as I ought to. How should I speak? With all boldness. It's a great word. And if you were to try and find this word in other parts of the Bible, in the Old Testament, you'd you'd be looking for a long time because in the Old Testament, there is no equivalent word in the Hebrew Old Testament. There's no word for boldness that relates to God's people dealing with God. There isn't because before Jesus died for us and before the blood of Jesus was shed, you couldn't approach the throne of grace with boldness. You had no right anywhere near the throne of grace. Um, even God's people couldn't approach um, and if you did, there were some stories of what happened to people that tried in the Old Testament. I'm so glad we live in the New Testament, aren't you? Um, the fact that we belong to the community that says, come boldly, with all boldness, to the throne of grace. And you will notice that uh, this encouragement, this command even, says that we should come with all boldness for one particularly important and specific reason – Approach the throne of grace with boldness to receive mercy. Okay? What it doesn't say is this. Get your act together. Sort yourself out. Deal with yourself. Get yourself into the right frame of mind. And only then must you come to the throne of grace with boldness. It doesn't say that. It says you're coming to the throne of grace primarily to receive mercy. We're leading most of us very different lives from each other, but it's not an unreasonable suggestion to guess that if you're coming to receive mercy, you're in trouble, aren't you? 
you've been a naughty girl, haven't you? A naughty boy, you have. You need mercy. And you, you, you've come to receive mercy. You haven't come to make excuses. You've come guilty as charged to receive mercy. Now, I don't know how you approach somebody when you're going to apologise, but if you wanted my advice, my advice would be, I'd take it easy if I was you. I'd ease into it gradually, you know. I wouldn't go marching in and say, excuse me, I want to be forgiven. That, that, that would not be the advice. But actually, that's exactly what we've been asked to do. Not in an arrogant sense, but with all boldness, with all confidence. When we need mercy, we're told to come straight away into the presence of God. And not just into the outer courts of God and say, look, I've got a note for God. Could you pass this to him? If he's not too busy, he might see me when he's got time. No. You walk straight past the 24 elders, or past the seven lampstands, or past the seraphim and cherubim and the angels, and you walk past them, brushing them out of the way, into the presence of God, straight up to the throne of grace, boldly, with all boldness. That's how we do it. Well, that's how we should do it. It feels instinctively wrong, but there is so much about being a Christian that is contrary to the way that this world operates. And the book of Hebrews, I haven't played with this, I haven't changed it around, I've just simply read it and declared it to you, that we should come to the throne of grace with boldness to receive mercy at a time of need, or boldness. And I don't know when and how this happened, but most of us have fallen for this over the years. We only really come to God when we feel in the mood to come to God. We only come into God's presence to pray when we think that God's going to be pleased to see us because we've had a good day. And if you forget everything else I say today, and if this means nothing to you except this little moment now, I want to draw you into what I'm trying to say to you. Think about the worst day you ever had. I don't mean something happened to you. I mean something It was your fault, okay? There must be something in your past, and even the, the mention of it makes you cringe, doesn't it? And you just, even now, you can't bear the thought of it. Something you did, something you didn't do that you should have done, something that was wrong, out of character, embarrassing, unkind, dishonest, hurtful, utterly foolish, but you did it. You got forgiven. But that was a bad day. And you probably have another one like that. <laughs> Maybe you're having one today. Maybe before you came out, it was bad. Listen to me. On your worst day, you need to come boldly, with all boldness, to the throne of grace. Any reason that you can come up with that says, I'll do it later, I'll think about it, I'll pray about it. Any excuse you make not to come to the throne of grace with boldness came from somewhere else. It didn't come from God. There is never a time when you'll not be welcomed. There's never a time when he doesn't want to see you. No matter what you've done, and I hate to break this to you, but he knew all about you anyway. So even if you're having a good day, he was with you on Tuesday when you weren't, he knew. He knew. The book of Hebrews knows and says, well, look, we're coming to receive mercy here, but come with all boldness, any time, every time. I'm trying to make myself clearer. I'm not sure how well I'm doing with this all boldness thing, but I'm, I'm not done with it yet. Excuse me. I'd like, oh, thank you. I'm wanting to show you a picture 
that I hope will just consolidate what I'm trying to say to you. Um, you know, most of you, who President John F. Kennedy was. You've heard of him, surely. You've seen some films about him. Could you, could you picture him in your mind? You probably know what he looks like, don't you? Um, one of the most, he was one of the most photographed presidents of, 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 of sort of recent history. And this picture is one of the most famous uh, pictures um, of him. It, it's quite charming. He's in the White House in the Oval Office. And that's his son, John F. Kennedy Jr. I think he's about four years, three and a half, four years of age at that picture. Have you seen that before? Most of some of you older ones will maybe remember seeing that. And um, it's quite a picture, actually, isn't it? It's nice. Um, let me tell you where the president is sitting. He's sitting at what's called the Resolute Desk. Okay? Americans don't have a king, and they don't have a throne that the king sits on. But the Resolute Desk is the only part of the Oval Office that doesn't change when a new president comes in. The curtains, the carpets, the, if you see the pictures of the Oval Office, it, it, sometimes it's a yellow colour scheme. So There's always a bit of blue in there, but they, they, they adapt it for what the incoming president wants. But the Resolute Desk stays in place. It was made from wood from the HMS Resolute, which was a British Arctic exploring ship. And... When the ship was decommissioned, um, it was broken up, and Queen Victoria ordered a very fine desk with lots of carvings to be made from the wood of HMS Resolute. And she gave it to President Rutherford B. Hayes in 1880. And uh, there it sits in the White House, and almost every president since has sat there, and certainly every president since Kennedy. The Resolute desk is where these decisions are made. If you want a symbol of presidential power, it's that desk. Now, I'd like to sort of... You probably would have known this, but let me tell you that when that picture was printed for the first time in Look magazine in 1963, the caption didn't read, Kennedy, unfit for office, treating the Oval Office as a playground. It didn't read, feral child desecrates um, the resolute desk. It didn't say that. It didn't say any of that stuff. I don't know what the caption was, but that was clearly designed to help Kennedy's idea of getting re-elected in a couple of years' time, which obviously wasn't going to happen. But uh, I like that picture. And the reason I'm showing it to you is because if you just look at that boy and his body language, there were several versions of that picture. There's a picture from behind the desk. You can see him playing with a train. And I want to suggest to you that that little boy is behaving in the Oval Office with all boldness. Because he belongs there. To the rest of us, that's the president. To the rest of us, this is the Oval Office. To the rest of us, that's the resolute desk. To him, that's just his dad's office. And why wouldn't he be in there? And if he's going to be in there, he's, he's wearing his PJs. You can't see. He's got a dressing gown on. Why would he dress up to go and see his dad? Um, why would he? If you were invited to see the president, you, you would plan that visit for as long as you had to do it. But when you belong... And when you're the president's son, you just walk in, not with arrogance or with rudeness, but just with a natural sense that I belong here. That's all boldness. So I refer you back to the book of Hebrews. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Come like that kid did, boldly. We need to be in our father's office, don't we? We need to be, he doesn't have a desk, he has a throne. So we walk up to his throne and all the angels and all the other things part for us because we belong there.
because we are his children. And this is how Jesus always behaved. And when we're talking about prayer, we, we go no further than to look at how Jesus prayed to learn how it should be done. The Lord's Prayer. Al introduced the, uh, the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, the Lord's Prayer. Um, he said, this is how you should pray. And when you look at how Jesus prayed, he was always praying. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says that he often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. Mark 1, verse 35 says he got up early before dawn, before daylight, so that he could pray. One of the most amazing things that Jesus did is recorded in, you can read about it, in the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. Some of you know that chapter, you know exactly what it is. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Some of my favourite words in the Bible in that chapter. Lazarus, come forth. Loose him. Let him go. Take the grave clothes off him. You know, we'd like to say, Lord, speak to us. Whatever you want, tell us what you'd like us to do. I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound unkind, but I'd love to be spying on you when God says, I'd like you to go and raise someone from the dead. I'm so sorry. I'd love to see how you'd handle that. I'm sure I would handle it badly. And I'm absolutely sure of this, that if God spoke to me and said, raise someone from the dead, I'd like that to be done privately. I would. If I was sent to a hospital and someone had just passed away, I'd want the room to myself. And I wouldn't tell anyone that I was going to do it. I would just go in. I'd say, no, I just just need a few moments. Right. Because the thing is, if it doesn't work, then no one knows, do they? And I walk out and say, no, I just wanted to pay my respects. And, and, and it didn't work. And so what? I'm the Christian who couldn't raise someone from the dead. <laughs> so shoot me. All right? So I, that's how I would handle it. I'm not proud, but I'm just being honest. This is how Jesus handled it. Firstly, he did it publicly. There were still the funeral rites going on. He'd been dead for several days, but there were still family and friends he'd been summoned he'd been called and he was there the disciples were there the the ladies were there um i mean this this thing's either going to happen or it's not isn't it okay there's not much well i think god may be doing something else this is he's either raised from the dead or he's not and there's you can't explain your way out of this it's going to happen this is how jesus handled it john 11 41 to 42 okay Before he said, Lazarus, come forth, he said this in front of everybody. He said, Father, I thank you that you heard me, and I know that you always hear me. Talk about setting yourself up. And then the next words that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Thank you that you heard me. You always hear me. Rather arrogant? No. Bold. All boldness. Like that little boy up there, isn't it? All boldness. That's all it is. All boldness. And because of this, Jesus prayed very often because he knew, I always get heard. I'm always welcome in the throne room. There's never a day when God's not pleased to see me. This is the thing, ladies and gentlemen, you and I as Christians have exactly the same relationship with God the Father as Jesus did when he was on earth. You think, well, of course he always heard Jesus' prayer. It's Jesus. But we as Christians, we are in Christ. And God will deal with us 
on this planet in exactly the same way that he dealt with Jesus. We are in Christ. He will answer our prayers in exactly the same way that he answered Jesus' prayers. It's that simple. This is why we're told to approach the throne of grace with boldness. This is a prayer scripture. Um, I'm sure that this is part of the, the boldness that Jesus had. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Now I know that we're not supposed to change the words of the Bible. There's, apparently that's wrong, isn't it? So would you forgive me just for a moment to make a point? It doesn't say that at all, but just come with me for a moment. I have a reason for doing this. Ask, it might be given to you. Seek, you may find. Knock, and it might be opened to you. I don't know about yourself, but if that was all I knew, and if I didn't know the real verse, I think that was quite a good deal. I would, wouldn't you? I think there's a pretty good chance your prayers will get answered. That's that's better than nothing, isn't it? If you, I, we're having a chuckle together, so I don't mean to spoil the moment by saying something sort of slightly heavy with you, but if you were seriously ill and they said, well, until recently there was nothing we could do for you, but there's a new treatment that seems to be working, it's not guaranteed, but there's a 40% chance. If that was all we had, we'd like those odds, wouldn't we? We'd say, what if you're not? Yeah, what if I am? And... and but I honestly believe most of us live our lives as if that's what that really says. You know, we don't pray much because we think it might happen. It could happen. Jesus said, you always hear me. And uh, I know that you always hear my prayer. I like the word will. Knock and it will be opened. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Do you know, I think if we believed this, we'd need less series and sermons on prayer. Some of you are sick of this. I know this is true. When Al announced we're going to do five weeks on prayer, you smiled, and some of you, you smiled in, but you're going, oh, God, not again. Prayer. I know what's going to happen. They're going to dress this up. They're going to eke it out. But at the end of the day, they're just going to say, it works. You ain't doing it enough, so do it more, please. And that's... That, I've, Save the next people who are doing this after me the trouble of bothering to prepare because I'm not trying to be silly with you. That's the size of it, isn't it? If we could just go around and give you an injection that made you pray more, we'd save up. We would. We'd do, we, we would do it because we know that prayer works and we need to pray. But, you know, it's not that we are stubborn, disobedient people who just say, yes, I know prayer works, but I'm blowed if I'm going to pray. That's not how it works. The heart isn't in it sometimes because we think we've got to be in the mood because we think that we've got to have all our ducks lined up before we can do it. We don't do it so often because we're frightened it won't get answered and we'll be too disappointed and we're sometimes angry enough with God as it is without having more reason to be disappointed and it's just safer not to ask sometimes. But actually, I'd like to be more like Jesus in everything, but particularly in prayer, who said, I know that I always get heard. The thing about this is we are encouraged, commanded to approach the throne of grace with boldness because we will receive mercy, we will be heard, we will be embraced and the truth of the matter is it's where we belong, it's our destiny, you're going to spend all eternity at the throne of God 
So why not make a few more visits in the meantime? Because what's waiting for us is something very special indeed. And I'd like to say to you today, some of you, you you're part of what's happening here and you come and you like it, but somehow, and for no reason that we can explain, you've just never made the decision to actually make Jesus Lord of your life. You've never actually done this, where you know that there's a line to be crossed, where you're going to ask him to come in and take over. You're going to give your life to him. You're going to ask him to come into your heart. And you've been pondering this, and you've been thinking about it. John talked about Alpha. You may have been through Alpha, and you've just not made that step. When the throne of grace is open, when we're encouraged to come boldly, why would you put that decision off another moment? Why would you not just come boldly today and say, it's my first time, but that guy said, come boldly, so here I am. And I've come to receive mercy. I've come to say, Jesus, come into my life. Let's bow our heads. Father, please help us to believe this and help us to live our lives, because this is true, to live our lives in this way. Thank you. And I'm going to say this prayer the way Jesus said it. It's with humility, but it's with all boldness, because I have no choice but to be bold. Thank you, Lord, that what we ask for in these next few minutes, thank you that you always hear us. Thank you that we will ask, it shall be done. Thank you that we will knock and it shall be opened. Thank you that we will seek and we will find. So with, with our eyes closed, it gives us a bit of privacy to ask a really important question. If you're here thinking, well, maybe it is time for me just to say yes and just to say, well, I need to ask Jesus come into my life. I need to do this now. I don't want to put it off anymore. You might want to just look up, look up at me. No one else is looking. Put your hand up so that I can see you, so that I can see where you are. This is your time to do this. God is speaking today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well done. God's moving and God is touching lives. I'm going to ask once more because I don't want to cheapen this by keep asking. Somebody else. Father, I thank you for these good people and I thank you that when we speak to them afterwards we'll get a chance to allow them to say, Jesus, come into my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. If you put your hand up, please make sure you come straight to me afterwards or to Al who was, or to Benita who were leading the service. We, we just want to speak to you and give you some literature. Okay? Very important. Right, let me just do this quickly. The word that I had on my heart was that ask, seek and knock. It's about knocking today. And some of you have been knocking on doors and there are circumstances that just haven't opened for you. I don't mean you just want God to move and to bless you. That's very important. But there are certain circumstances where the door is shut. You're literally bashing your head against a closed door. And this morning, God wants to break those doors open. In the first service, I, I had the feeling that God wanted to open doors. When I was sitting there, 
Alison spoke to me and I saw quite clearly like an armoured vehicle just driving through the door and just blowing the thing away. There, You're not shutting that door again. And that's, that's what I think is going to happen for some of you. So please stand up with me. And what we're going to do is I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And again, we don't want to mess about here. God is moving. If you want someone to stand with you and pray with you and say, I've got a door that's closed, I need it to open at work, at home, in my finances, there's a particular situation I cannot get a decision on. There is something that is just not happening that should. I'd like you to come to the front and stand by these communion tables here and members of the team will come and pray for you and will stand in agreement with you that doors will be opened. Thank you, Lord. As these people come forward, we ask that your spirit will move upon their lives now.